you're listening to The Seventh Reel. This week, Nashville, starring David Arkin, Barbara Baxley, Ned Be- Beatty, Karen Black, Ronnie Vaughn. Va- Timothy oh, Brown, I can't do this. Keith Carradine. Timothy Brown, Keith Carradine. Is it Carradine or Carradine? Carradine Chaplin. I think it's Carradine. Keith Carradine. Geraldine Chaplin, Robert Duvall, Jeff Goldblum, Lily Tomlin, Duvall, I can't even read. Robert Duvall, Oh, Shelley Duvall. Wait, are Robert Duvall and Shelley are they? I don't know. They have the same last name. Are they? I'm asking. You know what? I'm literally no. It's not the dad. I don't think so. No, no, no. On her page, Wikipedia, not to be confused with actor Robert Duvall, to whom Shelley is not closely related. Close, Close distantly. Distant We're relation. all distantly related, technically. We're all related, distantly related. Exactly. Which in which you're all. <laughs> what do you guys? Okay, I've, um, what did you guys think about this? It's you said this is your pick. What made you? I mean, I I really really love uh, the long goodbye, which is. I mean, I'm spoiling my recommendation, and uh, that's directed by Robert Altman. It's noir that I think Michelle would like, so that may be a future episode. But uh, and and it's just the way he shoots his movies. I don't know what it is about it, but the way the movies actually look and his style is, is so appealing to me that I mm-hmm. I was excited to to watch another one. And uh, I know that you're a fan of musicals, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to watch something that uh, we all would uh, get something out of. <laughs> yeah, well, there is a lot of singing in this. I think half of this movie is just a performance. But it's not like like out of context. Like, they're not like just singing. No, it's all within context. Yeah, because yeah, that... it's about music, right? This is... If anything, this is, I think, the film that proves why, like, that justifies the existence of country music. Like, you finish this movie, you get why, oh, yeah, this is why they like this. No, I'm a big country music fan, like, classic country music, like, uh, what's in this movie, and Graham Parsons, and, uh, and, like, Townsend's Act, and all of that. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you notice the parallels? The, uh, I think the Barbara Jean is, uh, Loretta Lynn, and the Peter, Paul, Mm. and Mary couple, like, the trio, right? I was like, oh, that's Peter, Paul, and Mary. And, like, and I like how it's a combination of country music and folk music oh my god i love that i'm easy song like that was so good aside from like that character being such a horrible i don't know i don't know what life is but okay so so what did you guys think that's mainly what i i i want to hear because uh i i just just quickly i'll just tell you a few things about the movie it is considered altman's magnum opus and uh, the screenplay was written by Altman's frequent collaborator Joan Tweaksbury, and it is based partly on her experiences as an outsider visiting the city and observing its local music industry. Oh, so she she's the obnoxious BBC reporter in this. Okay, she's awesome. hilarious. <laughs> Who <laughs> she's so funny. First of all, I doubt she even like I like I love how they leave it like kind of open to interpretation if she even works for the BBC because apparently. I think she says like the BBC wrong, like what it stands for, like when she first introduces herself and immediately calls into question. Yeah, but like, does she even work actually... the BBC? Exactly, exactly, right? It's like you're like, hmm, or is she just like another loopy like <laughs> idiot? Like the rest, I, I like, the rest of she's us. She's like, are you a musician? To uh, just anyone around, <laughs> like the guy in the uh, in the junkyard. <laughs> yes, with the violin and, uh, case. Like, and are you a musician? The, one of the other parties where she's like, oh, uh, the actress, I forget her name, the really famous on Lily something when she's like oh my kids are deaf and she's like oh I can't see them that's so depressing and she's like no no it's very 
you to know, dude, that's so depressing. <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> Lily Tomlin's amazing in this. Oh my god! Why like, um, Grace and Frank. <laughs> yes, yes. Mostly, I know her from Grace and Frankie. It's nice to see her young again. I'm trying to see what we're like. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, and she was in that uh, I'd Heart Heart Huckabee's movie mm, with uh, David O'Russell's magnum opus. As we, <laughs> she's oh, she, uh, and then she was in Shortcuts. This was like her first movie, which is incredible that this is like a first performance, and she comes out like feeling like an established actress, very much an established actress already. I kept thinking of the scene when she's watching him sing in the mm-hmm. bar, and she looks so sad, and I, it was it was so heartbreaking. It's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting how when before we uh, started this podcast, she said this. You find this movie very very funny. I found it very very sad at multiple points. I think I feel like there's just this uh, entire aura of desperation that kind of exists, and that's what that's the connective tissue between every character, right? Because oh, but for those of the for those who are un, 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 uninitiated, uh, this is a, a ensemble film. There is like with like there's like what twenty five pivotal characters, hence the incredibly large cast list, and uh, there is no clear storyline that runs through this, and there's no conventional narrative structure. Well, kind of there. It kind of is. It all builds up to the big concert, right? How Philip Walker. And yeah, Michelle, how did you feel about this? I mean, at first, I was getting annoyed with the music just because there was so much, <laughs> and I wasn't fully grasping that oh, it, it's like moving, not even a plot along. Then I know I kind of liked. I don't know. I was quite tired when I watched it, so I don't think I appreciated it as much. As no, I it's. I mean, it is a long movie. But it's got, um, it is, it's got Geraldine Chaplin in it, who is Charlie Chaplin's first daughter with his last wife. First daughter with his last wife. But I was thinking most of the time that, because Charlie Chaplin was still alive when this came out, and I wonder if he saw it and what he thought. Yeah, what do you, what do you think you would uh, have thought of this movie? Because it's, it's kind of the opposite of what his movies are all about right not necessarily the opposite but it does a very different thing it's i feel like it tackles kind of like the similar subject in very very different ways because charlie chaplin's i feel like isn't a lot of his movies about the poverty about poverty about like the human human condition in the modern age and this kind of feels the same way in terms of it's focusing on the underdogs of society well, for right? my i mean they do they make a comment at the start that's like i know something like what happened to the actors and they like communism or something like that and that's like, like what happened to him he got kicked out of hollywood and the u.s because they thought he was a common but no, i don't know i was just thinking more of like because his daughter is like i mean she's not like overly sexy. there's just like one scene where she has sex with someone i was like what do you think of that he's from like, born yeah. but he he's he's probably a lot more uh you know kind of a progressive kind of liberal guy than most the average person yeah, I, I feel so. but it's even like i don't know the father's always protecting his daughters yeah oh she's his wife from una una i uh don't know if you uh if you know this uh arvin but she was uh mm-hmm. she was dating uh jd salinger before he went off to war and then she married uh charlie chaplin and he found oh. out in the uh <laughs> in the papers <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh my god imagine getting cucked by charlie chaplin you know you gotta take some and and and, and to find that out while you're at war <laughs> this guy is well, I, th- I think that was a big fuck. part of his origin story so <laughs> oh he's <laughs> imagine like your ex <laughs> mary they're probably the biggest movie star in the 
history of movies. Like, is that why he wrote Catcher in the Rye? <laughs> I it's what I find fascinating about this movie is that all the actors are required to sing their own songs and also write their own own songs, and that lends I think that lends so much to the kind of the rustic and authenticity of what you hear. Like, because these are not fant. They're not. Most of them aren't fantastic singers. In fact, the lack of talent is like a big a, a kind of a theme in this film, right? With the waitress character, what's her name? Su Ling's. That was so dark. I can't believe the movie went there in terms of, and and to do it so inconspicuously. Like the way the situation unveils itself. There's no like dark music. There's no foreboding like imagery. It just kind of happens, and because it happens so. Like kind of realistically, it's horrifying what they did to her, and the fact that she she still kind of with and then she kind of cracks and withdraws into herself, right? Um, after this happens, like remember her friend trying to talk her out of it to leave this town, and she's like, no, I I I like she refuses to accept that reality of you know like oh it's it's so heartbreaking. But here's a fun fact, and, and this is gonna make you this is gonna blow your mind. You know that's um the song um. The second song that they sing in the bar towards the end, when they go like, "Since you've gone, I've like," uh, it's one of when the three of them, but when the trio are singing, like, "Since you've gone, my heart was broken one one more time." Right? Do you know who wrote that song? Okay, <laughs> Gary Busey wrote that song because he was originally set to play one of the characters. So, because and then because like they were required to write their own songs, he wrote that song. And I was like thinking, "Wow, Gary Busey's got some songwriting chops because that song was baller." You know, he was on British. Um, Bre- Big Brother, like, oh, really? Yeah, doesn't have brain damage or something? He is brain damage. I think so. He's really. I hope I've got the right guy. He looks a bit weird, and he's like blonde. Yes, he does look a bit weird. He is blonde, but he's not Boris Johnson. That's why I. Yeah, know. so he wrote that song. That was crazy when I when I found out about that. I was like, whoa, yes. he's he looks deranged nowadays. Because um, <laughs> he has brain damage. No, I'm he's not deranged. Not okay, I'm gonna go through his Wikipedia. Okay, great. He, he, you're, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I'm not making that or up. What do you mean? <laughs> It'll be really funny if you were. So he wrote that song. I thought that was really, really cool. A little nice tidbit. I didn't really get the whole. I feel like the whole like ghost of Kennedy was sort of lingering mm. in the film, and I didn't. Yes. I didn't really get why. Well, um, considering this is seventy-five or seventy-six, right? Literally, right after Sorry. Watergate. Yeah, they they sing a song with Watergate. Yeah, and is in I think this is in wake of the disillusionment of America yeah, that Kennedy I think begun with the assassination of because it begun with the assassination of Kennedy. Honestly, Americans right? are so Since, mad. Uh, no, well, because uh, Kennedy is kind of the exception in that period of time where the Democrats kept losing and losing mm-hmm. presidential elections. So I I think and it speaks to like when she when she's talking about him being like the only person they decided to uh to actually like support publicly and uh because that was kind of a a movement more or less of the country going in a very different direction but it's uh it's a very interesting movie because it's very explicitly political and yet like somehow very much not but it's it's strange like i think the kennedy stuff was supposed to be like this help philip walker type of reminder of like oh we're but you 
you never see the the no you never see it yes you you never see him i love that i love you never see him and this and he represents like just the promise of change right the promise of things of getting better but you never see him it's elusive and in the end he doesn't show up because of the assassination which begs the question did you guys see that coming yeah when a guy says intently he's gonna shoot someone or he's masturbating Yeah, that was weird. Ah, ah, ah. And I love how he keeps the gun in the violin case. I, I was like, is dope. it going to be a massive gun if it's going to be in that no, case? It's like, you can't pull that out in a crowd and people wouldn't notice. It's like, and it was- I, I got the sense of this because um, I had watched that uh, Maisley Brothers documentary fairly recently the, about the Rolling Stones. It's called Gimme Shelter. And that's literally what happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah when well, the guy got... Oh, is that, uh, that there was before? Yeah, it was sixty nine. Yeah, because so much of this, yeah, is feels that, like a parallel to our reality. So I know there's one Rolling Stones concert where someone dies, but isn't it just because it's so crowded, or is that just the shooting? Yeah, it's an uh, someone it's got an stabbed, alternate, right? right? It's just kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, the uh, essentially the Hell's Angels guys were doing security and being paid in acid and beer because it was the sixties and everyone yeah. was an idiot and uh, and the. Uh, and one guy like messed with some Hell's Angels bike and then he pulled out a gun and they stabbed him to death. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like a crowd member. Yeah, it was a crowd member. Like one of the crowd like pulled out a gun oh. essentially and then Yeah, the Hell's Angels killed him. But it was it was shot in the same way. You know what you know when she's like when he's like, oh, you should sing, sing, sing that's kind of what happens because first few minutes they don't like kind of understand what's going on down in the crowd so they keep on singing their song and and it like and then they, it stops and then they're oh, like what's going on and course. then they're like, play back up again and then they're like oh some shit's going down oh. so they have to like be ushered out but yeah that that's what i was like oh my god this this sounds and looks a lot like that and the fact that they had uh, but that was the state i love the statement towards the end where the older singer just grabs yeah. the mic it's like this is nashville they can't do this to us no this no they they said this isn't dallas which is where yeah. kennedy was shot this isn't, uh, they said this is nashville yeah, this doesn't happen here that's, 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 this doesn't happen here somebody sing and i love that like this is and then that the, the whole point of why all the singing is there is like becomes very apparent right like this is their this is country music is mm-hmm. for us for them to vent their sorrows and probably like alleviate them from this desperation because i love and you never i love how they you you, you um you hear almost everybody sing except for that last girl throughout the entire movie they kept her they kept <laughs> yeah. like that was such a great little moment like oh, like she seems she seems to be the most yeah. like desperate and like loopy and kind of just like um in over her head one and in the end she's the one who has it and um, and then what she only has it because of opportunity brought from like this from turmoil and i thought that was so interesting it's like oh and i think it says a lot about the american dream as well right it's like it's we're all just grasping at straws and trying Mm. to get the one thing that you know the one big break no matter what form it comes in in this case you know you're handed a mic after someone got shot it's yeah it's uh, like michelle said the Americans are very dramatic. Uh, country music is. The Americans like, are very super, dramatic. Super needlessly like. Dra- yeah. This <laughs> is melodramatic, but it's um. I love the singer, the main singer, Barbara Barbara Jean. I love her breakdown on oh. stage. By the way, Shelley Duvall looks weird. Because she's oh five gosh, years so younger than you know her from uh, The Shining. She's five years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She's not. She already has the mom vibe from The Shining. Yeah, she felt much more like like a kid in this. Al <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I, like, I so, changed my name. I didn't so, get what? the guy whose wife died or his 
she that was her aunt or something yeah I was trying to figure that was he's her, her he's our uncle right and he's renting the room out to the shooter and in the end like he the shooter I think I mean, was already does, I think like, his motive he knows who he is and what happens just mm-hmm. in the point of it yeah no 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 I'm trying I'm, I'm trying to lead to like this idea like maybe like his because his wife died and he completely yeah and then he's like I'm it, going right? to get her she should have some side yeah I'm gonna get her and I'm gonna get her and that melting what his wife no no it's she she's her aunt no his wife. Oh my god. But I mean, it could have been Shelly Duvall. No, how does it make she's there in the end? I think she's, you see her brief, I think she see her briefly towards the end. I think every, it's like the event that brings everybody, all the characters together, right? It's the concert. Um, I love the, it's the Barbara Dreams meltdown on stage when like, and you can, and because Robert Altman's a genius, you can, it's all done in this wide shot. You can see the band members in the back kind of, mm. like kind of mumble to themselves, like what and is going she's on. Like, she's talking like going, about like, oh, I, I saw a, uh, yeah, like, yeah. when she just goes on this like two minute long rant no, no, monologue no, no. it was amazing she starts like no towards the middle of the movie the manager like uh, yeah is like oh she just came out of the hospital and you guys should uh, oh yeah. i that i uh man i really like the way his movies look like just color wise and the way the camera like zooms in slowly on stuff and all that is just so amazing. Exactly, and the way even when it tracks, like even when it tracks, it tracks so gently, right? You know, Scorsese's like if you look at compared to Scorsese, which is all feels very deliberate. Oh my god, this feels yeah. a lot more yeah, naturalistic. Like. Yeah, I love the sh- like even towards the end when like they're walking off the stage and it's just a slow pan of characters walking off and onto the stage, and in the in the in the center of it all is the waitress in the pink dress, like just like sl- like sl- leaning against the post and that kind of tracks the entire you know what i could have done without is the jeff goldblum parts i was just like ah, this feels ridiculous yeah that that has nothing to do which has really had nothing or, to do with the story. Uh, no this film when the uh, jeff goldblum's doing magic yeah and this then film. he does he's on the bike and stuff oh my god yeah, he's the guy Although, the I guess it makes sense in that, tricks. like, Shelley Duvall and Jeff Goldblum represent, like, the new generation. Like, when he's talking, she's uh, L.A. Joan or whatever, and she has no respect for, like, the older, like, her aunt or whatever. And then they talk about yeah. the bike he's on, and she's like, oh, it's so popular because of Easy Rider. And since that came out, all these kids are, like, using these bikes and stuff like that. So, maybe. And then the Elliot Gould section, I was, uh, I mean, it's, okay, the, they're talking about like celebrity worship and stuff but uh it's strange to see elliot gould be like the face of uh playing himself i like i like he's kind of cute like i was like oh like it's kind of meta already like the film exists on this like sense of there's a degree of self-awareness throughout this entire thing i love the montage the crowd towards the end of the movie apparently they just advertise like free hot dogs or beer or whatever to get the crowd to be there at the end so like when you cuts back to the crowd singing that's the real deal, right? That's America. I love that. Because this is I, what I really liked about this movie. Like, it really feels like an honest portrayal or depiction of, like, of America. This is what it is. It's these people right here in this crowd singing along to this song. And then as the song goes along, it just cuts to the faces of the kids. Like was the, the uncertainty of the future and yet with like this glimpse of hope, right? You see these kids in the crowd and their parents holding them and, and singing that song and you can kind of see the desperation, a little bit of that desperation in their eyes as well. It's beautiful. I really love the ending. I found it really impactful when I, when I watched it. I was like, wow, it's so, it feels so honest. <laughs> well, 
was the significance of Barbara Jean's husband? And he kept saying nothing political. Is it because like he thought she gets shot? Is that why? I think he just doesn't want like a political lenient because that would alienate her her audience, right? He's her manager. He's thinking of the money. He's like, well, if it's if you represent a political message, that will segregate. Like that will essentially cut off like country music is supposed to be for everybody, not like you know blue or red or whatever. I love that argument towards the end when he loses his shit at the at the uh, the manager when they're on the stage and it's just this, they just have this like minute long argument <laughs> that plays out. I, I love it so much when he just he's like, no, what about this banner in the back? Like, what is this? What am I looking at? It's it's great. I love the way Altman directs dialogue because it's like early like Sodenberg where like characters mm, oh yeah talk yeah that each other and you like kind of just it's like kind of up to you like <laughs> that's a big part of why I chose this movie because exactly. I had. Uh, picked i had watched uh, uh no not because of this podcast <laughs> because i i also i had watched the front runner and i noticed that uh what's his face was doing that a lot it was noticeable like they would talk to each other and while something's happening on like a stage and you could hear the the people on the stage way louder you know that whole like social network like club scene like that mm. was constantly going on and uh, i find that fascinating and then i also listened to a um, to a podcast where it was the safety brothers the the guys who made gemstone righteous gemstones no uncut gems <laughs> uncut gems and uh and the other one and paul thomas anderson and they were talking about how uh how i forget what it was uh, i but altman was watch it was making a movie with i think dustin hoffman or something probably california split uh-huh. and uh he was they were watching the movie back and then Dustin Hoffman was like, "What? What the fuck? Like, what, what the hell's going on with the with the sound and stuff like that?" And he's like, "Is it all like this?" And Altman was like, "Yes, it's all like this." Like he was so proud of it and happy that it's like all because they're in like casinos or something, so it's all like really mixed with the sound. People people don't really uh, appreciate sound. Sa- like people playing with sound as we've seen with the christopher dolan's uh voyages into that but it's an interesting mm-hmm. like tool that i uh, think uh not a lot of people use it feels very immersive and, uh, and well I, I think it's it's only immersive if you don't like overdo it it's like you know at the same time and they they don't do it that much in this movie but they but it is noticeable it just seems like how the characters like come and go between scenes and yeah no i don't know if i was just like it was the film but like when i was watching on my laptop i felt like the music was coming from behind me but i wasn't wearing <laughs> earphones I don't, I don't know why maybe the version mm-hmm. you watched yeah maybe it's the way it was mixed yeah, really the way it was mixed was was it the Criterion version? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's we shouldn't we should we should cut that part out. We shouldn't give off the way that we, we watch these movies. Unless you yeah. say you torrented, I think that's fine. They can sponsor us. And yeah, free. sponsor us, Criterion, please. Invite us to your uh, oh, collection please. place. Just invite me and <laughs> Yeah, the closet's too oh. tight. Three people. Okay. Okay. Two. <laughs> Shall we take a break? And we're back. And now to my personal favorite segment. I don't know why I say this each time. What did Ebert say about this? No, who framed Roger Ebert? Who framed Roger Ebert? Who and framed Roger? E- who framed? Okay. Roger Ebert gave this four out of four stars. Wow. So um, Roger Ebert says this is a musical, and uh, Robert Altman <laughs> observes in his commentary on the new DVD release that it contains 
more than an hour of music. This movie is what, three hours and it's one hour of music. It is uh, a political parable written and directed in the immediate aftermath of Watergate. So the the grand old Opry scene were shot the day Nixon resigned. Wow. And uh, he he basically just loves to see. Uh, he tells you the full like story of how it was made or like behind the scenes. He's like and then gives you a summary of what the movie's all about and then tells you that all the songs were written by the actors something arvin was super impressed by yeah i love it it's, it's such a they had to put actually put work into it <laughs> which is something i always appreciate it's like oh so his insights are about the kennedy stuff that underneath the songs the romance and politics beats a darker current to of political assassination uh, has a long monologue about the Kennedys. We begin to put focus on two young drifters, the soldier who spends night in the singer's hospital room, and another young man who has rented a furnished room. Played by Scott Glenn. So, and then when uh, Barbara Jean sings at a riverboat concert, we realize chillingly that both of them are in the front row, standing side by side. Is there a threat there? Which one? Roger Ebert asks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Altman's life, he says, Robert Altman's life work has refused to contain itself within the edges of the screen. His famous overlapping dialogue, for which he invented a new sound recording system, is an attempt to deny that only one character talks at a time. His characters have neighbors, friends, secret alliances. They connect in unexpected ways. Their stories are not contained by conventional plots. And the buried message may be that life doesn't proceed in a linear fashion to the neat ending of a story. It's messy, and we bump up against others, and we're all in this together. That's the message I get at the end of Nashville, and it has never failed to move me. High school musical. We're all in this together. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Arvin, uh, this, I've noticed every time we've I've read the Roger Ebert review that it parallels your thoughts exactly. I'm pretty sure no, he reads it before. No. I didn't. I I would say for this one, I didn't read it because I oh, watched this really? movie like twice back to back. Oh my I, god! I, was, I didn't I really, know that. I really wow. liked it. I really liked it. And I was trying. I was what I was trying. I was because I, I I started watching it early on, and then like I was like, oh, it was kind of hard to get through the first thirty minutes because I, I was like, I was like, I was like, oh my god, the songs are kind of terrible. I was like, shit, <laughs> the songs are really bad. I don't know if I could like. I don't know if they get any better. But then there's so much of it. I kind of start to get into it, and then they save the good. The songs get better and better i genuinely think that's like a purposeful choice that the it gets more catchy and catchy as it goes along until we hit the grand finale he he well i agree with that but i i i think he likes usually the movies like we like but it's always and i've said this before like his reviews the best ones are about movies you don't think uh, he would like or or movies that you don't like appreciate because then you find out something new because he's he's usually he'll like explain like why it's actually good and you Usually, I found that you can like share a bit of uh, insight that oh yeah that does make sense that is good I found myself like after reading a review of a movie I didn't like that he's like kind of good at explaining why it uh, has its merits and stuff now for the classic segment what have we watched 
this week starring Arvin and Michelle and me. Michelle, do you want to take mm-hmm. it away? Okay. The only thing I watched is Foul, which is like a 2013 film about she's a daughter of a slave and her mom, I don't know if they married or they just had this the kid together. He was like a British aristocrat. He worked in like the Navy and he brought her back to like his family who live in this gigantic country house and they raise her like she would be a white child but there's a lot of conflict with that and it's based on a true story and I thought it'd be helpful to an, for an essay I'm writing but it wasn't so <laughs> yeah I remember that movie being very boring that's why I remember it no I quite enjoyed it because it's like a whole it didn't actually involve the Bal character in, in real life about this illegal battle that was a bunch of like a, a slave ship had thrown all of its slaves overboard and then were claiming insurance for the loss of lives or the loss of cargo not the loss of lives and then it's the whole of like whether human lives can be classed as cargo and also whether they were even lying about it and like they probably just killed them because they got infected by something is that what the movie is actually about yeah, that's a like one of the plots through it yeah cool i just remember uh draco malfoy being racist and thinking that was kind of thinking that was kind of funny yeah he was draco he's malfoy. in it right yeah that's literally the only thing i remember yeah yeah and i watched uh the front runner which I like. I mean, I thought it was a very good movie, and I like Jason Reitman. I think he's one of the good ones out there. But I'm surprised that this movie has like a 59% and a 39% on audience scores and uh it's not like no one talked about it i came on out i was surprised i i didn't even know this had come out i was just randomly googling this after my uh, dad was watching the new ghostbusters remake uh-huh. uh which he loved by the way he like laughed his ass off and he loves uh surprisingly he also loved that movie spy the paul feig movie <laughs> he loved i like that yeah. I liked it. I, so i watched so that we, uh, so i googled him and i was like oh what's this guy been up to and i found out this movie had come out it's it's actually pretty good honestly it's well made looks really awesome Mm -hmm. tells the story efficiently Hugh Jackman is magnificent in it like he's such a good actor that it kind of is underrated is underrated as an actor because he does all these like other jobs like Wolverine and all that that you just kind of think of him as that but seeing prisoners and then this back to back you're kind of like in awe of him I uh I was like wow Hugh Jackman's really good at his job and then I also watched the invisible man which uh so i i loved it honestly i i really really enjoyed that movie and i uh, maybe that was my fault i always assumed you had you were trashing it because i i talked to you about it and you were like oh it's whatever it's a suit i did i didn't like the the ultimate reveal maybe it's the fact that i knew the reveal because you had told me about it that it, it was like really awesome because i was like oh okay the the set pieces are really cool and the fact that she's kind of being gaslit is like so uh, pre- yeah. yeah and it becomes it's i love how it elevates it beyond a genre piece that's what i love most about it yeah did you like seeing the patriot guy in it i love it i i, I was cheering for him the entire way <laughs> and uh like, oh, and then okay so here's <laughs> what i was most excited about to tell you guys i saw that prime video has uh, keeping up with the kardashians on there so, so i checked it out <laughs> remembering that you guys said <laughs> watched it and uh it's honestly way more entertaining than i thought it would be i could watch all of it right yeah 
it sucks you in. I was like, because within all these, like, these are terrible people, but they are undeniably human. And, the, and, and, and it becomes this kind of fascinating, like, character study in, like, how, what, how wealth changes people. <laughs> no, 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 no. I dropped in, like, in a random season, like, uh, the, Bru- Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn. So, yeah, so, Caitlyn. uh, she, like, when, when she was Bruce Jenner. Uh, the, in the show, uh, she was he was trying to buy a gun, and because they had been swatted, so it was during that like period of time when people were getting swatted, and uh, it was fascinating because it's also kind of a brief window into the whatever time period they're in. Like they all had like blackberries and stuff, <laughs> but it's amazing. I mean, and I love the way they explain everything. <laughs> like like some a scene happens, and then they basically like the talking head just explains what happened like fully <laughs> yeah but i don't watch too much of it so i when i saw that i was like i i thought the 30 rock version of it was overplaying it but it's just that i was like oh my god it's literally yeah. just that but it is fascinating and i i'm i might watch all of it but i'm gonna try not to it's you can it's it's something you can leave on the background just be consistently fascinated by the like it's i don't know michelle and i watched the four, four which seasons four seasons have you seen all of it the first four so it's like you kind of because at the start they're basically unknown other than like their dad is the lawyer of the OJ case and the sex tape yeah the sex tape but like you just kind of watch them rise into the fame that you know but they just oh, kind of act really a sex movie. scandal rocks the family the price of fame episode 8 season 1 oh my god so you guys like have seen yeah. the like original like template of this I dropped in it's oh really yeah. blurry. I, well I mean my the version I saw was them she was married or no she was getting a divorce so she could have her baby with Kanye as a married couple so I they were pretty well into being like you know now they're getting to yeah but are they divorced now and now they I they are getting a divorce well time for recommendations I'm going last yeah I so I'm 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 gonna watch uh, I'm gonna recommend the long goodbye which I also kind of want to watch that's pretty insulin <laughs> So The Long Goodbye, directed by Robert Altman, awesome noir that's kind of not a noir. And it's the fascinating thing about this movie, Arvin, that I think you will like is John Williams wrote the song for it. And the whole soundtrack is that one song, but on different, like in different versions. So it's like covers of the song. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So it'll be on the radio and then it'll be in the supermarket and then it'll be, and it's done like with a different style each time. And the song is so catchy. When I watched the movie, I was like singing it in the shower, like the next month. (laughs) So uh, it's a really good movie. Um, probably one of my favorites what are you recommending Arvin? i i was i was really trying to figure out like what's i want to recommend a when i was watching nashville i really thought of this taiwanese film i don't know if like it's even possible to find it but it was like the biggest our our big box office hit of the like 20 2007 and it re, nashville reminded like i realized like the director was probably inspired took a, quite a few elements from it it's also an ensemble piece it's also about music it's coming it's but the hook of it is a disenfranchised musician returns back to his hometown 
town, and he becomes a delivery man. He realized that one of the parcel he has on hand is are these letters written by a Japanese teacher in Taiwan back during the colonial ages, back in like eight and nineteen twenties. And he realized that oh, this letter was never delivered to like the recipient, this student that he fell in love with, and it's, that's kind of like the main like spirit like guideline through the story. But then it's also about all of these other characters and in the, in itself about Taiwanese people and like what's it called? Cape Number Seven. It's quite interesting. This it's the only movie where I where I saw my mom laughing really hard at. So like that's it kind of sorry. It's really funny, I, but it's funny in a way that I don't know how much of that is just contextual to like us being Taiwanese and swearing in Taiwanese and that being kind of funny just to see on screen. But um yeah, it's kind of reminded me of Nashville. Um that's so I, I would say go for it if you want to see like this sort of ensemble piece tackled by a different culture and a different director. That will be my recommendation. I kind of want to like stick it up for the homeboy here. Show. All right, Michelle. How about you now? Michelle, your recommendation. No, my recommendation is also my film for the next week. <laughs> because I didn't, I don't know any other film that I could think of that was like Nashville. So I just thought of another film that was in the seventies. That's got this weird, like quirky in a fun way. It's uh, Harold and Maude, which is one ah. of my favorite films. It's about this really young guy, and he starts dating. I think she's a seventy-nine-year-old when they meet, and they they bond over a love of death. They meet at a funeral of the person they've never met, and they it's it's great. It's really fun. It's not as dark as you think, but it kind of is. But it's funny. So um, yeah. Okay, this is a great recommendation. You need to watch it. And yes, please watch for next week. <laughs> That's a way to ensure your recommendation gets.、Uh... Oh Yusuf, you're part of this. I think you'll like the movie because your name is going to be in the credits. These songs are done by Cat Stevens, Yusuf Cat Stevens, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Oh. I, that's why I remember.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I quite I quite like this. You'll like it too. It's kind of like I've pro- heard of it. Proto Wes Anderson.、Uh, never seen it, so I'm excited. It's one of those、It's、movies、delightful. that.、Uh, I've keep putting off. Okay, then this is great. Excellent. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and、uh, keep it real. Keep it real. Keep it real now, folks. Thank now. you for listening. Thank you for listening. Come back next time over yonder. <laughs> Goodbye now. The seventh reel is hosted by Yusuf Elbashir, Michelle Hassel, and Arvin Paul. Logo created by Show Conti. And theme song composed by Yehia El Bashir. Thanks for listening.